Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. We're here today with the New York Times bestselling author, Dr. John Townsend. He's the author of more than 30 books, 10 million copies in print. He's a leadership expert. He's a psychologist. Uh, I might also say he's my longtime friend. In fact, I, John, I'm sure you remember when you were a grad student here at Rosemead School of Psychology here at Biola, uh, and you were waiting tables at Kano's Restaurant. Uh, you actually were the server for my wife Sally and I on our very first date. I remember it well, and it was a great night. And and you didn't spill anything on the table. I was so proud of you, Scott. I was I was very pleased. And uh, yeah, that that <laughs> evening was the the beginning of a, a wonderful story. So. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was a great evening. Well, we, the reason we're here today, John, uh, is coming out with a new book uh, called People Fuel, How Energy from Relationships Transforms Life, Love, and Leadership. So, John, congratulations on book number 31. Uh, th- and this has, just has all kinds of great stuff in it. It's incredibly practical. It's, it's, it's biblically grounded. Uh, in fact, I think, I think of, of all the people who are working today in the integration of psychology and Christian faith, I find you to be one, one of the most, if, the, if not the most insightful person around uh, who's mm. integrating those two areas just incredibly well. So thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, and to talk, there's just tons of good stuff here in this book that we want to get into. Thanks. By, by the way, can I say a word about the integration piece? You may. Yeah. It's really cool that most of what I study these days is in the, sci- in the world of neuroscience, you know, how the brain operates. And one of the big revelations for me of the past years of studying neuroscience, you know, about what we're finding out is that all of the robust studies, the really well-done studies about how people grow and change and have great relationships and success and have resiliency, every one of them affirms and backs up that the Bible's true. They all back up to what God's been saying about growth forever and ever and ever. It's just great to see God get some credit through hard science. How about that? Give give our listeners just one example of what you mean by that. Well, let's talk talk about, for example, um, uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, where Solomon says um, that a person's heart are deep waters and a person of understanding draws them out. Now, what that's saying is that we all have stuff inside us, passions and core values and feelings and thoughts and opinions. And sometimes it takes relationship with somebody to draw us out of ourselves. Those great conversations you have when, when somebody says, I, I see this in you, or, you know, I'm noticing this in you. Go, I really? That's about me? Because we need others. Well, you, you, you look at the neuroscience research and it says, that we are, we are geared for empathy, that our brains work better when somebody is entering our world empathically. That's great. Great stuff. So, let, John, let's turn to your book, uh, People Fuel. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that term, and why did, why did you pick that for the title of your book? Well, it's based on 1 Peter 4.10 is the key passage, Scott, and, and where, it's, where Peter says that we are the stewards of God's manifold grace. And the idea there is that, you know, Christians, we're pretty good at the vertical aspect, what I would call the vertical aspects of faith. You know, we're supposed to 
relate to God by reading our Bible and studying that. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to relate to the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Christ. We're supposed to surrender to Jesus. And those are all things the Bible says about growth and following Him and discipleship. But there are hundreds of verses about what I call the horizontal aspect of our faith, too. Like I just mentioned, 1 Peter 4.10, or uh, Ecclesiastes 4, where Solomon says, Woe to you if there's not another to lift you up. Or maybe even the Passion, when Matthew 26, when Jesus, who was connected to the Father at his time of great travail, turns around to Peter, James, and John and says, you know, I need you here with me, that the horizontal aspect of our faith is just as important as the vertical aspect. And so if we want to be successful, and we want to have great relationships and spiritual life and emotional life and great careers, we've got to avail ourselves of all of God's resources, not just the vertical, but also the horizontal. So I wanted to write a book about basically a science, a very practical science on how we can get the energy we need from others, the support we need, the, the nutrients of life to be healthier and more successful people. It sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it sounds like that uh, you intended for this to be just as applicable to non-Christians as it is to Christians. Is that true? Absolutely. It it was a, it was a marketplace friendly book. I want, I mean, it's got a million verses in it on it because I wanted it to be clearly biblical, but um, I, I work, I do a lot of uh, corporate work, Scott, and I just work with lots of people and lots of organizations that are just marketplace organizations. And they don't have a problem with that. They just go, this stuff makes sense. You know, I don't know what all these verses mean, but I know these principles about getting the right place, people in your life make a difference into how our families work, our marriages work, and how our organizations work. All right. So our, the, the people who taught us preaching, I think, would be proud of this next question. What, what's actually, if you could summarize the big idea of the book, <laughs> what, in one sentence, what is it? Probably the most pithy way I could think about it would be that we are as successful and healthy as the people we let in our lives. Okay. We are as successful and healthy as the people we let into our lives. What, what do you have to say? What do you have to say to those of us who are introverts? Uh, and that, you know, relationships, you know, for us, take a whole lot of work and generally leave us more drained than energized. In fact, I get, yeah. I get energized by solitude, not relationships. Well, you know, there's no such thing as a black and white introvert, extrovert thing. You know, when you read, when you go to Myers-Briggs, that's a great instrument. And so many t- people take it in a black and white way. They like, oh, I get no energy from people. Uh, it's all a drain. And then I go, Tell your wife that. I mean, are you sure about that? <laughs> is that the, unless somebody, if somebody gets zero energy from people, it's not introversion. They have a psychological problem called an attachment deficit. And an attachment deficit is very different than introversion. On the other end, we're finding out that even extroverts need cave time. There's no such thing as an extrovert that that has no positivity from cave time. And if it if I have a person that says to me, I never mean to be alone, I would say, you have the opposite of an attachment disorder. So when we go to the gray areas, absolutely. Some natural introverts get more energy from solitude, but, the, but they, to be the healthiest person on a design level, I'm talking about a design level, how their right. brains work, or how God made them. They've got to have some quality relationships. My, my book talks about a life team of, of three to 10 people. Somewhere in their lives, 
that are feeding in encouragement and care and empathy and wisdom to them. So it's the black and white part of no people in my life versus nothing but people. That doesn't work in reality. Everybody's on a, on a continuum. Promise me you won't tell my wife I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys, and I see, and I, actually, Scott, we've been out with you enough that we see how much energy and positivity you get from Sally. So, no, it's not true in a here, black here. and white level. And ever, you, ever. You, you wouldn't say just off the top of your head that I have an attachment disorder? No. Okay. No, I don't. All I think right. you're I'm, really a relational person, really, but I know you got to have that certain amount of cave time because right. all eyes do, right? That's right. So, in, in the book, you, you sort of frame this, this idea that we, we, can't, we can't grow without really meaningful people relationships that, that, are, regu- that are a regular part of our lives. Mm. Um, and you, you, you frame this around the idea of a tree that, uh, that, you, that you describe as the growth tree. Uh, could you mm-hmm. explain that concept to our listeners? I found that a really helpful way to frame this whole conversation. Sure. I, I took it from one of Jesus' lesser-known parables, Luke 13, uh, the parable of the, the uh, barren fig tree, where he talks about a tree, a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit, and the landowner, who is God, the righteous judge in the, in the metaphor, says to the gardener, who is Jesus, this cut it down, why should it take up the, 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 the sand? Or why should it take up the take up the earth, the space? Like and people feel like that sometimes. They feel like, gosh, I'm just useless. But Jesus, the advocate to the Father, goes to him and says, Well, first, let me dig around the soil. In other words, let me change the nutrient structure as God, because maybe that's not the problem. And then if it still doesn't bear fruit, have at it. And the idea that I got from that was that so many times in our our marriages, our parenting, our, our self-care, our careers, we have a problem, and our answer is either to judge ourselves, well, I'm just useless, or to just kind of use willpower, I'll try harder, I'll wake up earlier, I'll work on weekends, I'll work 12 hours a week, and, you know, trying harder rarely solves a problem, when the words Jesus said was, maybe you've got a root system that's empty, for example, are you emotionally isolated? Do you, do you not have any vulnerable relationships where people are feeding you care and understanding and wisdom? And so the, the tree itself in, my, in the design of the book is there's the top of it, which is you know, where the fruit is, in this case the fig. So we all want great fruit. We all want – I call it the three P's in the book, P is in Paul. There's the, we, we all want great um, personal fruit. means I want a healthy emotions. I don't want to have – depression or anxiety or that sort of thing. I want to I want to have um, great behavior. I don't want to have an addiction or a bad habit. I want to be a self-disciplined person. And I also want to have great thoughts, healthy thoughts. So that's the that's how you know your fruit in your life and your personal life. Those things within your skin are healthy. And then the second the second T is the uh, the people part. I want to have great relationships, thriving relationships with two characteristics. Great relationships where I can be vulnerable with others and trust them and open up. And I've got to have a few people in my life that I really can be all myself with. But I also want to have relationships where I can solve problems and we can tell the truth to each other. And we can, you know, sort of like be honest. And when I don't have trusting relationships or honest relationships, I've got bad fruit. Then the third P is the P of performance. And that has to do with the task 
and doing and working things in life. How's my career going? How's my financial health? How's my mission in life going? And if I'm doing well there, that's great. But some people find they have a performance proof. They're not happy in their career. They're not doing well in their career. Uh, they don't feel like they're a good fit. So you look at those three P's and you, either, you kind of evaluate, is my life where I need it to be? Well, the way that successful people, and basically what I do is study very, very successful people that I work with to find out what their, their secret sauce is. You, uh, and a healthy fruit comes from a healthy trunk because the trunk is what delivers the nutrients and protects the tree. And I call that the trunk of character. And character is all those capacities that we need to meet the demands of reality. And there are four of those in the, in the, in the illustration. There's bonding, the ability to have great relationships and be vulnerable. There's boundaries and, you know, the boundary stuff that I wrote about how to say no and have a voice and confront when you need to. There's reality, which means how to handle the losses of life and the negatives and be resilient and adaptive and not be stuck in perfectionism. And then there's capability, which is knowing who I am and where God has me in my mission. But then the third part of the tree, as we all know, is the root system, because that's where the nutrients of the soil feed it. And there are three main nutrient areas that God provides for us to run up the trunk into the fruit and give us great, great, you know, fruit in our lives. And those are those nutrient systems are grace, which is that God and people in our lives are for us. They may not agree or approve all the time, but God's for us. And so are the great people in our life. Then there's truth, which is information, data, biblical principles, skills, research, feedback. We all need the data. And the third is time, because to grow and be healthy and successful takes time. So to the extent that we're taking in great and grace and truth and time from the people we care about, it runs up the trunk into great, a great personal life, a great a performance life, and a great people life. John, you used the term just a minute when you started out describing this as the uh, that you, you when you work a lot with leaders, they find that the roots are empty, um, mm -hmm. and that they've been you know they've been you know giving out and giving out, but there's nothing that they're taking in to replenish what, what they're mm -hmm. giving out. Um, now you've, you've I think you've, you sound like you've seen this pretty regularly among the leaders that you work with uh, that they're operating on a, on a what, I, what I call a deficit at the root level. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do they how do they go about fixing that? Because my, I mean, in my experience, most most leaders when they, when they don't have the fruit, they just ramp up the effort and try a lot harder and figure yep. if I'll just I just work at it a little bit more and I get better people around me, um, then it'll just happen. Uh, but it doesn't yeah. just happen. No, it, in fact, it, it doesn't just happen, Scott. One, I guess, how do you get leaders to to see? that the problem really is at the root level, not the fruit level, um, and then to get them to, to attend to that bef before they crash and burn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's a big issue because a lot of times if somebody's very gifted and dis disciplined, they won't, they'll be totally isolated from God's source of people. And when I, when I, you know, sometimes a company or a board or a CEO or somebody will call me in to evaluate a leader, so I have a, a, a structure I take them through, I ask them about their relationship, and they'll go, oh, I'm not isolated. I've got plenty of relationships. I'll say, great, tell me about them. Well, I'm, I'm guiding this group, and I'm leading this team, and I'm mentoring this person, <laughs> and I'm deciding. And I'll go, man, I'm getting tired listening to you. I said, that's all great, but that's all outsourcing. What about the insource? What about the people that are feeding you? And they'll go, well, let me think. <laughs> and they, all they'll say is, I've got God, and I'll go, great, we need God. 
and I've got my spouse. I said, great. And I've got my Labrador Retriever, Matt. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll say, I'll say, well, you know, we all need God. That's great. Check. And, you know, glad you got to support his spouse. And, you know, your dog kind of genetically is wired to lick you. So that's kind of like who he is. <laughs> said, but as I look at this, Sam, I'll say, you know, I think that your spouse is very tired. <laughs> and and is wondering when you're going to be the, this is going to be another person in your life that wants to hear your fears and frustrations and anxieties. And every time I speak on this, if, if the spouse is around, they come up to me later and go, oh my gosh, you got to fix him. <laughs> so, so it's a problem because they kind of think because I'm around people that I'm getting nutrients. No, you're outsourcing, which all leaders need to do, but you can't give what you don't possess. I'll tell you a story. From you, one of my, you're in my favorite people, Scott, from Professor Howard Hendricks. And you're this here. really happened. Yes. Um, back when you and I were at, at Dallas Seminary together, um, he, you know, he mentored a lot of us. You know, he was, he had a big impact on you and me and a bunch of people. Sure did. And um, I remember sitting in chapel one day, and he said, he's preaching on some passage. He said, now let me tell you about this. He says, men and women, he says, let me tell you what this says. This says, you'd better not have a best friend. And you should never have a best friend because of various reasons. Don't make an idol out of a person and people let you down. If you're going to lead a church, you shouldn't have a best friend, blah, blah, blah. And since I'm kind of relational, I thought, ooh, something's wrong with me. But, you know, Moses said it. And if Moses says, I better write it down, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I put it in my little notebook. And, and then and I was, um, by that time, I'd entered Rosemead for my doctorate. And, um, a friend of mine that was in seminary a couple of years behind me, I met him and he said, Oh, you know, I, I, I was at chapel the other day after you left and professor Hendricks was doing a chapel a couple of years after you left. And he said, he said the most interesting thing. He said, you might've heard me a couple of years ago when I said that you better not have a best friend. He said, and then professor Hendricks paused and said the following, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. And he went through the passages that talk about, the ones I just mentioned, First mm-hmm. Peter four ten, and all this, and he said, "You'd better have a best friend." So now I'm really confused because Moses kind of recanted, <laughs> which is unusual, right? <laughs> so, so I used to fly back from California to Dallas, and you know, when I would do that, I I try to have coffee with Prof and just catch up. And so we were having coffee, and I said, "So, what's this deal about you reversing your position on best friends here, Prof?" And here's the story. The seminary had a due diligence because they were really concerned about success for their graduates to follow up anytime there was a problem in a graduate or an alum, an alumnus who had a problem, a church split, a moral failure, a burnout, a lack of success, financial problems. And they wanted to make sure they were learning about this so they could teach in a better way. So we'd have successful alumnus, a wonderful pro- project. And so when they would send the body bags, metaphorically speaking, yeah, of these yeah. people who had, had, had really failed, guess who was supposed to be in charge of that project of understanding them? It was Professor Howard Hendricks. And guess what he found to be true in 90-some percent of those alumni? This is no rocket science, Scott. Yeah. No best friends. No best friends. They were isolated. It was just by them and their spouse and their dog and their prayer life. And nobody to vent to, nobody to unpack to, nobody to talk about the fears and the shame and the failures. 
And the neuroscience would take over and say, you're going to be lowering your performance and going into bad problems if you don't fix this. P- Professor Hendricks saw it before anybody did. So, no, so basically not much going into the roots. There you go. And, that's the problem. Yeah. And, wow, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot of damage that's caused to people's lives, to churches, to marriages, to families. Um, the hard science says that without those relationships, um, a person, how does it go? They have less of a successful overall life, more physical health problems, more emotional problems, and they die sooner. I mean, it's not even, it's not even an opinion anymore. It's just science. I was going to say, sign me up for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I think this, yeah, I think the, the concept that you've laid out here about, you know, ha- having, you know, having good stuff coming into your root system, I think that's a really, that's just so important. And I think the point you made just a minute ago about how we mistake outsourcing for insourcing re- relational, yeah. relationally, that, that, is, that is so common among people who are yeah. in leadership, who are high-achieving people. We just, I think we just assume that if, if, we, if we are around people enough, it, just, it doesn't matter what capacity we're around these people in, they're good for us. Um, yeah. But that's not necessarily and here, here's, true. Here's the, here's the mistake there, Scott, also on top of that is since a leader is, you know, they're, they, they draw people. They're smart and they care about people and they've got gifts. So like a moth is drawn to a flame, leaders just attract people on that level. It's not bad. Those people's needs aren't bad. But right. I'll, I'll also, and when I'm doing my interview, I'll say, you ever been in small groups? Yeah, a million. I'll say, what happens every time you hang out in a small group? You'll go, without exception, I'm le- I end up leading that small group. So now I'm facilitating, and I've got the wisdom, and I and I go, so one more case of, of outsourcing. It's just because of the dynamic of leadership that you've got to, you've got to pay attention to and realize this is not going to work over time for me. I've always felt like I'd be, I'd be happy to be in a small group as long as I can pick the people who are in them. Um, because, <laughs> yep. you know, in part because, you know, you can see it in a church-based small group, people who have theological background end up being facilitators and leading and things like that. And it ends up, it, it ends up being additionally draining, not, not nourishing and encouraging. Now, That's me. why in the book it, 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 I talk about the concept of the life team, which I do train people at a very practical level, you, and you know about this, about this in the book. I train people. I'm a small group guy, but I have picked my own life team because I had to survive. So I think you should pick your life team. Well, let, uh, that's, that's actually the part I wanted to go to next. What, what do you mean by a life team? Uh, you know, I'm encouraged to know that you can, you can pick them yourself, uh, but mm-hmm. what, what is that? Why are they so important, and who who should constitute a life team for you? Well, I have these values that I put, or these these let's call them suggestions in the book, seven or eight of them, that talk about the things you need to look at, because you've got to have the right people in your life to give you the nutrients you need, as well as you give them the nutrients that they did. So the the qualities are they've got to have. Uh, I think, first off, essentially this uh, similar core values. I mean, not perfectly mm-hmm. similar because that's, that's just not good for us. But essentially looking through life with the same Liz about God and excellence and integrity and relationship and honesty. Secondly, 
they've got to be full of grace and never have a condemning bone in their body and accept you even though that you're that you're being a, a wingnut. Thirdly, they've got to be honest and be able to confront you when they see you making a bad decision. Fourthly, they've got to be vulnerable. And there's the big key one. They've got to be able to talk about their their hard times too. Fifthly, it's got to be mutual so that you're with them and they're with you and nobody's the parent, nobody's the child, and nobody's the Yoda figure and nobody's young Luke the Jedi. We're all working on this together. The sixthly is they've got to be um, serious about their growth. It's not like, well, I'll meet you once a year for for Starbucks coffee. That's not enough of a dosage system in the roof. I think you've got to be at some level where a team is not always the people in the same group. Now, for me, I've got people in my life team that don't know each other because I've got people mm-hmm. around the country that hold me up, and that's fine. I just want the quality. So, But you've got to be in some contact with them like once a month to get the right dosages, and then there's got to be um, availability, and they've got to be around. And then the final one is chemistry. It's got to be somebody you look forward to being with, not mm-hmm. somebody you wake up and think, oh, I've got lunch with Joe. Man, he's a pain, but he's probably good for me. I don't want to work live like that. I want, I want to say, hey, there's Scott Ray. I want to be with him. So I, I lay those out, and I say, you've got to find three to ten people like that, and we're going to talk about the relational nutrients that we give each other because I have a, a very simple way to look for the nutrients, but you've got to have the people that have the nutrients, basically. Okay, and those, those, those criteria are how, are how you determine who's got the right stuff. Uh, there you go. To, to be in your life. Now, um, this, these are people that you meet with separately, uh, sometimes in a group. Um, well, yeah, how, you how know, the ideal work? would be in a group because, you know, groups are great. And, but some people, you know, if I've got a friend who's in, in China, he can't do that, right? So you start with the ideal and go, it'd be great to have them, my dearest and closest growth friends in a group. And maybe half of them can be in a group because you're all on the same zip code. Um, and you shoot for that. But go for the quality. you got to have people who really get you and know you and, and see life in a similar way. Get what you can. Do you, do you think most people have that many people in their life who are like that? No, they that? don't. But I can, they don't, but I can fix that. I got a system. Go, this is, now you're going to laugh at this, but it really works. Do, I, do I take tell. it through myself, and, and I've taken it through many of my clients, and it works. People say I don't know people like that. There's just all I got is just people that sort of like are nice, but they don't have these qualities. I go, okay, that's not true. You just haven't seen them. Go to your Microsoft Outlook contacts, and we've all have between I don't know seven hundred and two thousand names. Give yourself a couple of hours. I did this myself to eat my own cooking, and you walk <laughs> through that list. And you just think, oh, yeah, he's a smart guy. She's a kind person. This person is wise. This person would open up. And and you might say, oh, this person is still in prison. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so you, you, know, you, you get through. <laughs> and then and then you'll have, I don't know, 20 people, let's say. And you think, These are all people I would just love to spend more time with. And you pick one of them, and you ask them to lunch. And you just say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Let's grab lunch, you know, catch up. And during that lunch, the key is you make one vulnerable statement, just one. Mm-hmm. Stick your toe in the water. You might say, work has really been a challenge. I'm kind of concerned about some things in my metrics or my results or market share. I've got some culture problems. Or, you know, our daughter's a teenager, and she's really kind of going upside down, and we're, we're concerned or whatever. But some kind of a vulnerable statement. 
Now, you'll get three, one of three responses, Scott, and that will tell you whether they're ready for the next level of life team. The first group will tell you, oh, my goodness, the weather today is phenomenal, <laughs> isn't it? All right. Now, Scott, if, they, if that's the response you get after a vulnerable statement, what are they trying to tell you? I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'm not going there. Nice person, but they'll never be on your A team. The second response when the person says, oh, you have, your daughter's having problems? Yeah. Okay, here's a good book. Now start waking up earlier and pray more for her. By the way, go to this conference. Now I'm going to make you accountable. I'm going to ask you if you're asking, your, have you got good boundaries to your daughter? What they're telling you is, I want to be your coach. I want to be Mr. Advice with you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to be with you. I just have a billion answers. So, no, that's not what I'm after. But the third response is the great one. They put down their fork and their eyes open and they lean towards you and they go, I had no idea. I had no idea you guys were struggling. We love your daughter. I'm so sorry. What, how's that feeling? What can we do for you? And they're telling you, I can live with a real person. So that means they qualify for lunch number two a month later or whatever, two weeks later. Now, this is about a four-month process. So you do this three or four times. And after about the third meeting, fourth, this one you say, if it goes well, you know, I'm getting really serious and intentional about my personal growth. And I'm realizing I've got to have the right people around me. And I love talking to you. And I feel like we've got some values and challenges and stuff that we can walk together through life. I'd love for us to meet on a regular basis either together or with some other people in our lives. And I'd love for us to be together, pray for each other, share our struggles, share our challenges, uh, find great Bible verses for it, read a book. But I just need people like you on a regular basis. And when I do this, and I, I, my clients will come back to me after doing my isolated, high-performing leadership clients. They'll say, 90% of them will say, when I made the proposal, the person went, are you kidding I don't have this either. Sign me up. Sweet. I need this in my life too. And they're off and running. And they've been doing it for years now since I came up with the system. Well, that's incredibly insightful and also super practical. And that's, that's not, that's, there's no reason that anybody who feels that kind of uh, relational deficit in their lives can't do something like this to get this started. Um, John, this is just incredibly helpful. I look forward to, uh, to part two of our conversation, which will come up uh, next uh, on, on your book, People Fuel. There's a lot more. We're going to talk about relational nutrients. Uh, what are the kinds of things that you need to have people building into you? Uh, different types of relationships, uh, the gains and drains relationships. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about. So stay tuned for part two. Uh, my conversation with Dr. John Townsend. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. Listen in next time as we invite Dr. Townsend back to consider this really important discussion on his book, People Fuel. To learn more about us, to find more episodes, go to www.biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, part one, Give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.